0: We're going to continue in our Navigating Strange Days uh, series, and if you, if, you're, if you want to on Tuesday nights, Brian Hatcher, our discipleship pastor, is going a lot deeper with this, so you'll see links and on our website, too. You can. He's, he's taking what I'm doing, and he's going a whole lot deeper and with it, and so I hope you're, you're tuning into that, because it's, it's good stuff. Um, today, as we talk about Navigating Strange Days, we're going to talk to you about when God calls you to believe. We're going to look at some Bible characters today about what, what it means when God calls you to, to believe, to, to obey. When, when uh, Michelle and I were brand new parents, you know, we've all got our parenting philosophies. If, for those of you that aren't, don't have kids yet, you will, you will have your parenting philosophies and then you will have children. And, and then you'll start registering whether those uh, hold up under pressure or not. Uh, that's the truth. That's a word from the Lord for y'all. Uh, but I, one of the things Michelle and I, as we were building the, the foundation of our, of our home, uh, we would have conversations often, you know, and, and uh, one of the things we, we, we were going to make permanent in our household, and we did, was that we were never going to negotiate obedience. We just weren't. We, we weren't. That doesn't mean we were going to be hard. doesn't mean we were going to be firm and mean, but we weren't going to negotiate whether or not our, our boys obeyed. Not to be taskmasters, but there's a reason. You know, you really can't, you, you can't reason with a two year old, right? I mean, their biggest concern in the world is goldfish, right? I mean, they, 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 you just can't reason. So we were gonna have to make some foundational rules. And, and one of the things we, just, we weren't gonna do is we weren't gonna negotiate obedience. But like a, a perfect example of this, and one of the things we always set down our boys and we talked to them many, many times, because you gotta keep telling them, keep telling them. We would tell them all the time, now listen. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're doing. If me or, I don't care if we're at a ball game, if we're at the mall, or, or if we're at a family gathering, or if we're at church, or if we're just right here at the house. If mom or dad ever says, come here, you stop what you're doing, and you come here. We, don't, we won't have time to always explain it. There's a reason. We'll tell you the reason later. But there's one thing mom and dad are never going to do. We're never going to count. All right? One... Two no. Now, if you've done that, you can repent from that. And I'm, that's <laughs> laugh, laugh, people. No, but really, you know, we it, because there's there's sometimes there's just no time. You need. It wasn't just about compliance. Because I told him there's going to be times, and there may come a time when that matters a lot that you do what we tell you when we tell you to do it. As evidenced by Cole was probably four. And all of this happened in about seven seconds time at the most. I'm in the front yard in a very rare moment of yard work. Um, I would astroturf our entire yard if Michelle would let me. I put a floor drain right in the middle of the yard, work it all drained to the middle, and it would look great all year long because I think yard work is not from the devil. I think the devil actually does it, and I hate it. But I was in the yard doing some yard work, and and you know how when you just hear a sound, you know what it is? Like for whatever reason, it just registers. And as I'm working on something, Cole, had, I had heard him ask Michelle if he could walk across the street and go see one of his buddies. And, and we lived in Maplewood. I mean, if you've ever been in Maplewood over here by Sprouts, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of through traffic through there. You can't go very fast. And as I'm working in one of these laurel bushes, I hear what I know immediately is a car moving at a very high rate of speed. And in our neighborhood, 25 was really fast because this is the way the curves and the streets and everything. And when I turned around, our street was straight, and then there was a bend in it about maybe 100 yards at the most. And in that bend, a, I, I, I found Cole, and he was only about you know, 20 steps, and he was about to walk across the street. And, and there were two teenage boys, and they were chasing each other through our neighborhood at about 45 miles an hour. They, they may as well have been going 100 because in our neighborhood, th- those streets can't contain that kind of speed. And so when I looked up, I saw a, a silver Pontiac and I saw a green Nissan uh, single cab truck. And by the, I, I, all I had time to do was literally scream, Cole, stop! And he, boom, he just stopped. And when he stopped, right in front of his face comes a silver car. And a green truck, and I'm telling y'all, had I had a grenade launcher, there would have been two people dead. In, I'm not kidding; that's not a joke. That don't laugh at that. That's I'm just telling you, it was it was that close, <laughs> just like that. Right? I jumped in my vehicle. I aided to the problem at that point because I tried to chase them down. I eventually, a week or so later, found out about them and um, talked to a parent, but. You know, sometimes you don't, you don't have time to explain. There's times that we're, we're, obedience is just something that's got to be done. And today we're going to talk about a situation between a man, Zechariah, and then a, a young lady named Mary. And we're going to look at what it means to have a heart that's willing to obey. So I want you to turn to, to Luke chapter 1, okay? Now, this is a long story, and so I'm not going to read all of it. But if you're, if you're um, on a, a device, I, I use the New American Standard, uh, NASB. And Luke chapter 1 is where we're going this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you're kind of new to the Bible, it's, it's in the Gospels. And, and so in the New Testament, kind of about three-quarters of the way through your, your Bible. So, so here's what's going on. Zechariah is a priest, okay, and he's been praying. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, have been praying for, for no telling how long. You ever, you ever prayed for, for that God would give you a son or a daughter? You ever prayed that God would give you children? Okay, that's what was going on. So that's what was, that's what was happening right here, Okay. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6, and it talks about who, been, who they were, and then it says they were both righteous. They were good, good people, uh, righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly, in all the Lord commanded and the requirements of the Lord. And that's And what a, what a thing to be said about somebody. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. They were getting old. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service, God... Uh, before god in the appointed order of division he, he went into the temple see by the way it was it was just once a year that you were chosen to do that so it was a big day for him so we're going to pick it up in, in verse 11 so zechariah goes into he goes into the the temple zechariah does and and it says an angel verse 11 an angel of the lord appeared to him and how about how about you 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 go in to worship god and all of a sudden there's somebody waiting on you buddy that's pretty neat isn't it standing to the right of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled right well I would be too when he saw the angel and fear gripped him and the angel said to him don't be afraid Zechariah for your petition has been heard your prayers in other words your prayers been answered your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John now for those of you that are you know heavy on the disprofile of compliance you like structure and order evidently he was too cuz he needed a plan right all the way down to the kid's name. I mean, God was gracious to this man. Not even not even He gave him a whole road map. Pretty, pretty amazing. You don't see that a lot in Scripture where he tells him the whole thing. And you will have joy, verse 14, and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the, son, uh, the sons of Israel back to the Lord. I mean, this is, this is just... Amazing that he would be told this. It it is he, this John, your coming son. He will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that's a big statement right there because Zechariah would have known who Elijah was to turn the hearts of fathers back to the children. And he just goes on and on. And then in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent, well, that is by whom? By God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then the story turns a little bit right here. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So the story goes on to say that Zechariah goes out and he can't speak. He goes out and, and he's mute, maybe for roughly nine months. I mean, and we're told why. He didn't believe. Now, contrast that. we picking it up in verse 34. The, uh, an angel of the Lord visits a, a, a young lady named Mary, and he tells him, You're going to have a son, the the Lord God, the Most High. He he will be called Son of the Most High. And and, and he's going to reign. He's going to restore. he, he, He declares everything. And then Mary says in verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who, has, who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And now look at what Mary says. Behold, she says, I'm a, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, something happened right there. I want to ask you a question this morning because this is kind of the the entire ballgame, what we're talking about. And the question is simply this, my Christian friend. Have you submitted your will to God? Have you submitted your will? I'm talking about your will, yourself, your intent on anything. Have you submitted your will to God? See, Zechariah had a spirit of unbelief in him. I don't know where he got it. In fact, he was a good man. I don't know that he even lived his whole life like that, but but there was was a spirit of unbelief in him, and and, and there was a difference in the two of them, and and, and I kind of separated it out like this. Mary asked for clarification, okay? Mary asked for clarification. Zechariah asked for proof, and there's a difference. There's a difference. He demanded proof. He was looking at the earthly to make sense of the eternal, and you're never going to be able to do that. You're never going to be able to look at the earthly to make sense of the eternal. Mary, Mary, Mary wasn't doubting. She did not have a spirit of unbelief. She just said, well, this is a shock to me because, you know, I'm a virgin. I mean, you would, you, you, that's, a big, that's a big ask, right? But, but in turn, no, what did Zechariah say? He said, I'm old. This doesn't make sense. I want you to prove it to me. And he said, okay, you're going to see it in a few months, but until that time, you can't talk. So there was a spirit of unbelief there. And and what what we see in Mary was that Mary, now now take take notice of this, because this is very, very important. Mary did not need proof or understanding in order to obey. She didn't. She did not need understanding in order to obey. Have you submitted your will to God? Have you submitted your will to God? It's okay to ask for clarification. We even see that. It's okay to ask for understanding, but there's a difference when you're demanding proof there. Now, what we're talking about here is not, it's not compliance. It's not forced compliance. It's like I told you about my sons. I, I'm, I, I wasn't demanding they comply I was, there was a reason behind my asking for their obedience. It could just save their life sometimes. See, I, I would say it through this way. Compliance, when we look at the difference between compliance, compliance is about surrender, but obedience is about desire. Compliance is about you just surrendering and giving up what you think are your rights, but obedience is about your desire. Mary had a desire to obey. Zacharias had a desire for proof. And therein was the difference, because I will tell you, when it comes to obeying God, obedience that places demands isn't obedience, that's negotiation, right? That's negotiation. He's saying, I'm willing to believe if, and the angel said, "Um, hey, Zechariah, you don't get to do that. So you're a good man, but there's no free lunches, so you're not going to get to talk for a while. You see, it's not about negotiation. Mary wasn't negotiating. She had submitted her will to, to God. Now, now, here's the deal. What's at the root of this? That's a big question. What's at the root of all this? Where's this coming from? The, well, the root of it stems to authority, and that's really the heartbeat of this entire thing. It's, 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 it's about the authority of who is the authority in the life of each of these people. If you're going to navigate the strange days coming at you in the next year, in the next 10 years, if you're going to navigate life, friend, let me tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to consistently reconcile that the authority in your life is the Lord your God, and he has the authority over your will. You got to reconcile that, that you're going to be obedient no matter what, I tell God all the time, I will, I, God, give me, give me the desire to obey you without understanding. I will do what you tell me to do, whether it makes sense or not. I don't need for it to make sense. Because what, what Zecharias was doing was he was trying to make sense of it in his mind. As I said, he was trying to take the earthly to make sense of the eternal. And, and so what did that do? It, it, it totally, totally twisted his ability to see what God was up to. The issue with unbelief and where it comes from, it comes from an issue of authority. I would go so far as to say to you that unbelief is born. It's born out of unresolved Authority. Do you hear me? Unbelief is born out of an unresolved authority. You haven't resolved yet who the authority is in your life. Zechariah had as his authority himself. He said, "I want proof." Mary said, "Be it done unto me, for I am yours." Do you see the attitude difference? You see the way that she looked at life. Zechariah was a good man. He, he wasn't. But do y'all, did you all catch the fact? I mean, this guy, this guy and his wife had been praying for a child for no telling how long. Many of you have prayed for that many, many, many years. He had been praying for a child. And now God, the angel of God, the angel of God is saying, Hey, buddy, it's going to happen. And he was still defiant. Did you catch that? Even with an angel from God, on behalf, I have been sent from God. And he still said, Not enough. Not enough. Have you submitted your will to God? Have you submitted your will to God? Listen, it's critical that you understand how important I want to ask you. Have you submitted your will to God? I want to tell you why that's such a a big issue. It's a massive issue to me. It's a massive issue as a pastor. It's a massive issue when I talk to other pastors. It's a massive issue in the church of America today. the, The issue of authority is a big deal because I want to tell you guys something. We are not immune. We're really not. We're not immune. None of us, none of you, not me, none of us, we are not immune. And if you look around in the last, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years, what, what have you been being told constantly in the school system, mass media, government, the workforce, social media, just the overtones of our society? What are you constantly being hit with, hit with constantly that that you're being hit with this, that maybe one of the greatest sins in America is that you might be offended. We live in a very soft culture. We live in an incredibly soft culture. I mean, my gosh, I think about uh, what my football and basketball and baseball coaches were like when I was, you know, 10, 12 years old. They'd be in prison. Not for putting hands on you just the way they talk to you. They might be in prison just just for that. I can promise you they'd be fired, every one of them. My goodness, Miss Hazelwood, my math teacher was awesome, but she would light you up, buddy. You know, And you know what? We deserved every bit of it. And we loved her, by the way, and she loved us. But she didn't play around. She wasn't going to take that. There was honor involved, you see. No, we live in a a solved culture. And I want to tell you, when you, the first year, whenever this started, let's pick an, I mean, out of the air, you know, not in the name of Jesus. We're just going to pick a date out there. Let's just say 2006. 2006, let's say, was when the agenda of of the culture of of never offending anybody started. So, first year, you were pretty immune to it. Second year, pretty immune to it. Fast forward 14, 15 years, you're immersed in it. It's a way of life. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I want to tell you what this has done to us as a culture. And the church isn't immune. Nobody, I say nobody, let me back up. Very few people anymore can take straight talk. I mean just straight talk. Everything's personal. Everything now is people just get mad, stomp, and post it on Facebook too. These can't take straight talk. I mean, we live in the modern-day equivalent of a magic. Can you imagine going into your doctor and he said, Hey, listen, here's the reason that you know, your livers and your kidneys aren't working real well. You're, 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 about, you're about 45 pounds overweight. Who are you? You hate me. What? I'm talking about your liver. I'm not talking about your character. I'm not talking about your person. You're the one, by the way, that came to me. You paid the copay. You're the one that came and said something's not working right. Your blood pressure's high. Your body's not making enough insulin or making too much. You can't see straight and you're swollen. Your your joints ache. I'm saying to you, stop it with the potato chips and work out a little bit. Life will be better for you, I promise. And you're wanting to go see an attorney. That's kind of, a that's, that's gross over-exaggeration, but that, that's where we are. Let me tell you why that matters in the church. Because it's really hard to live six days with that and then come in here and not bring it with you, no matter how much you think you're immune to it. You see, I don't know where Zechariah's got his spirit of unbelief, but I want to say something to all of you Christian friends. The best thing that you need in your life is the authority of the Word of God over your money, over your sex life, over how you parent, over your academics. Listen. Listen to me. Every one of you, all you listen at home, I don't care what age you are in here, listen to me. You force yourself to crave the authority of the Word of God over your life. Crave it. Crave it. It is the single most life-giving thing God has given you is the authority of His Word. It's the authority of His word. But if you if you don't, if you haven't submitted your will to God, then I'm telling you what's gonna happen. Probably 72% of the things I say out here are gonna trigger you. That's a new word for me. Um, I could say a lot about that, but I'm not. Now, why, why, does this, why does this matter to God, though? That, that's, the, that's the bigger question. Why, why, why does, why, why, what would make God send an angel, and when Zechariah doesn't do it, he goes so far as to mute that man who was a good man. He was, in fact, the Bible says he was a righteous man. Why why does unbelief matter so much? Why does the authority of God over your life, that you believe God is who he said he is, that you're to obey his word, that you're to live out his word, and that your desires are to be kingdom desires, not your own desires. Why does it matter so much? I'll tell you why. His authority over your life matters so much because if if he doesn't have authority over your life, you will find an authority you'll find an authority. Because see, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that that you and I, that in our heart, God made us for the eternal things. It actually says God has set, like molded, God has set eternity in the heart of mankind. You are made to worship something. It's why in, in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is what? Love me. And the second commandment is what? Don't replace me. Love me. And the very second one is don't replace me. Well, why would God put that in there if he knew, if he, if he thought we weren't prone to do it? We will seek authority somewhere. We will seek authority somewhere. I tell my boys all the time. Listen, I, tell, I, I have conversations with them all the time. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the Bible says. Because if if we're going to debate, well, you know, I just don't think God this, or I, I think we should do that. Or, uh, listen, well, then really, there's no authority anywhere. You've become the authority. Do you see how fast that happens? So so we have to put ourselves into a position of authority. And I'll tell you, if you don't get this right, if you have not unres- if you have not resolved authority. Uh, unbelief is rooted in unresolved authority. If you don't resolve this issue, I'm going to tell you, your prayer life's going to be muddy. It's going to be be very ineffective. Read James 1. I challenge you. Go back and read the first chapter of James about what happens to a person when they haven't resolved the authority of God. They're tossed about to and fro and they ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord because they're a double minded person. Why are they double minded? They're double minded because they live with one foot in the kingdom of me and one foot in the kingdom of God. And God is saying, I will not negotiate that. So if you're just your prayer life alone is raising enough that you have open communication with God that because you receive his authority, Mary had a position where when God told her, she said, I'm a virgin. Can you imagine going home to your mama? There's no mother in the world gonna believe that. I mean, really? I mean, hey, Mom, I'm going to have a baby. But, hey, I'm I'm still a virgin. That's, wow. Mary didn't need to understand. If If you don't resolve this issue of authority, 1 Thessalonians says you're going to quench the spirit. Paul, at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, is giving many, many uh, words of encouragement. And one of the things he says is, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, he wouldn't have put that in there had they not had trouble with it. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't what? Quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. See, you've got to have God's authority over your life. It matters. It's critical. When we look at the life of Jesus and what he brought to us, he brought us many gifts. Jesus brought all kinds of gifts to this world. He brought gifts of healing, but that wasn't his best gift. Gifts of healing were great when he healed people. That wasn't his best gift though. He brought gifts of comfort most I think probably most people think of Jesus as the great comforter and he is a great comforter but Jesus best gift to humanity what wasn't comfort cuz he didn't heal every person and he didn't comfort every single person Jesus best gift to us you guys was life He gave us life actual life based on the truth I love what Jesus said in John John 7 It says if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink Now let me tell you. Let me tell you where the context of where he said that. Never forget that that part of the world is what mainly a desert. It's mainly a desert. Water was the ball game over there. If any one of you is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the verse right after that says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus gave you life and he gave it to you through his spirit. But the whole point of him giving you life is not for you to rule yourself. It's for his glory to rule over you. And I promise you, dear friend, you want the Holy Spirit dominating your will. Have you submitted your will to God? Have you submitted your will to God? Have you? Have you submitted your will to God? Your will over your money? Your will over your job? Your will over what you want and what you don't want in that coming contract? Your will over how you lead your team? Your will over what you play in sports? Have you submitted your will to God? Jesus said for those that believe from you will come rivers of living water. Zechariah, when you read the story, he just didn't submit his will to God. And guess what? God didn't get any glory from his attitude. But you know what Mary did? Mary did. And she had a submitted will. And God received the glory. There's, there's rarely, a, there's rarely a, a, a month goes by. I praise God... Uh, for this, one day in a small group, we had some, you know, those quirky icebreaker games that people play that, I don't know, I want you to wear a name tag and do all I, I'm not wearing a name tag. I'm just not. I, I don't know. It's just one of those really weird quirks about me. I just don't like those things. And that there's, that's, that's, that's my fault. That's not the name tag's fault. I should be better about that. But I don't, I'm just telling you for a minute, I don't know why I got off into that. I'm just telling you, We were in some kind of weird game. But I won the game because, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> you know, anyway, it was some dumb game, and I won it. But, but nonetheless, I got this devotion out of it. And in this devotion, it was a daily devotion, and it happened to be a Spurgeon devotional. And one day in that devotional, I read this thing that Spurgeon said. And there's probably not a month goes by that I don't think about this. No kidding. This is what Spurgeon said. <laughs> He said, God will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. Those who serve God must serve him in his own way and in his own strength, or he will never accept their service. That which man does unaided by divine strength, God can never own. This part always gets me. God will empty out all that you have before he will put his own into you. The river of God is full of water but not one drop of it flows from earthly springs. God will have no strength used in his battles, but the strength that he himself imparts. Let's pray together. This morning with your eyes closed for a minute, the band's going to come out here. And I want you to listen to me, Christian friend. Have you submitted your will to God? I mean your will in a certain area of your life. Some of you in here this morning, you need to submit your fears to God. You're afraid. I understand. Some of you need to submit your will over an attitude or a person or some of you need to submit your will over your marriage we're going to sing this song in a second there's power in the name of jesus and here's what we're going to do in a minute i'm going to ask you to stand up and you can spread out if you want to come up here you don't have to come up and pray with us if you do want to come up and pray with one of us we we uh we won't, we won't wrap you up. We won't put our, put our hands on you. But if you want us to pray with you, but it, we, I just want you to know we're going to open up this altar of the Lord. Because this is what I know. I know that some of you need to take a step this morning in faith. Because the water is running dry. So God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, Father, that if there's any man or woman, any student in here that just needs a fresh movement of your spirit on their life, they would take a fresh step. There's just something about, Lord, when we, when we say, I'm leaving something behind that I'm going forward, God, today. There's, there's people that need to be prayed over. There's, there's couples in this room that need to pray over something in their family, anxiety in their son and daughter. God, I'm praying that you would liberate us this morning that we would experience your power.